With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everybody, to BAMS Radio. We brought you our episode last week as we were on a nine or ten month hiatus. Uh, But we are inching ever closer to SEC football. It's going to be a late start, as we said, in September the 26th. We're about two weeks away. Uh, We've had an unusual fall camp. Uh, That was a big topic last week. Of, you know, of having 40 days to get in 25 practices. And speaking of practices, the ever important, no matter how it's, you know, structured each year, the second scrimmage and the final one of fall camp uh, 2020 was uh, in Bryant-Denny Stadium yesterday. Once again, it was, uh, you know, tight as far as uh, attendance goes. Not a lot of people getting access. Uh, but information has been slowly leaking out, and we've got some good stuff for you tonight on BAMS Radio. I'm, of course, your host, Drew Yarman, Thomas the Wizard Watts in Mobile. Hopefully the hurricane is going to uh, spare Mobile for the most part, but he's uh, with us as always, producing and doing a great job. Did a great job with us on BAMS last week. And then our compatriot, a 1992 national champion from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide, William Redfish Barger, is also with us again tonight. William, it's great to have you back. How are you this evening? Doing great, Drew. How about you, man? I'm doing good, man. Uh, you know, the scrimmage was interesting. A lot of the info leaking out. It was Bryce Young's first action uh, as an Alabama quarterback in a scrimmage-type situation. As we know, we didn't have spring football at this past spring. He was out with COVID-19 uh, in the, during the first scrimmage. So this was his first extended action. Got a lot of work against the ones. And he impressed. I mean, everything I'm hearing is he and Mac Jones both played well. It's still solidly Mac Jones's job, but I think Alabama probably feels pretty good right now about their backup QB. Uh, so Alabama, it, it, it was an offensive uh, series, at least the information I'm getting. I heard a little bit about defense, William, but it seemed mostly that offense uh, was the rule of the day. A little bit unusual because usually the defense is ahead of the offense, but this is a really talented group. Uh, it looks like a lot of guys stepping into new roles, but it seemed as though, and I'm interested to hear what you, your buzz was, but I'm hearing a lot about the offense coming out of scrimmage too. Well, as I, I was talking to Thomas before you joined us that, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think it's, and I, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling over what I saw on the defensive side of the football last year, but, you know, this is such a deep and talented offense. Um, I don't know if you need to hit the tornado siren just yet because they, they outperformed the defense in the second scrimmage. Um, but there's just so much talent on that side of the football. And not that there's not on the defensive side as well, but I still think there's a lot more uh, moving parts still in play over there with them trying to get the guys you know squared away at, at the linebacker positions and back there in the secondary and you know, you've had some guys that you know up front that have missed practice like a Christian Barmore and um, you know, the, the one guy that, you know, is kind of, I think, kind of risen to the top just between the first scrimmage and the last uh, scrimmage is somebody I think that we all, um, you know, expected to see a little bit more from as a true freshman last year. And I'm willing to, you know, blame that on Brian Baker, um, you know, more so than the, than the true freshman Justin Abogie, I think, is finally starting to um, do a little impressing over there. So, um yeah, I, I don't think it's a, a condemnation of the defense at this point, Drew. It's just, you know, if, if you were to sit down and figure out a way to, you know, slow a Jalen Waddle down and slow a um, Devonta Smith down and, you know, that stable of running backs, and it sounds like Alabama has, you know, two really good quarterbacks on campus now, um, that, that's a tough, tough thing to try and, you know, draw up and, and uh, put a stop to. It is, and, and you bring up a great point. That I said this during his performance in the Iron Bowl last year. I called it a freak show when he went up and above the DB in the back of the end zone when Mac Jones hit him uh, on that touchdown pass in the second half. And 
you know, we all understand that if Alabama had won that game, and especially instead of having to settle for a field goal, say they hit Jalen Waddell uh, on his fifth touchdown in the red zone, that would have been considered one of the all-time great performances in Alabama history. It still really was. Uh, but when you don't win a game, a lot of times it's forgotten. And uh, But that's the term, once again, that I heard yesterday, though, was every time he touches the football, it's a freak show. And he had a touchdown catch, uh, also had a, caught, caught a, uh, you know, a pass on a deep ball. There were some still photos of a really nice catch that he made in the scrimmage, almost with one hand. So Jalen Waddle, as you said, William, he, he has Heisman-level talent. And I've been told, basically – that he and Will Anderson are probably the two best players on this team right now. And that's saying a lot, uh, but Will has really impressed in his two scrimmages. Uh, I know he didn't start yesterday, but he was in with the ones quickly. Uh, He was once again very disruptive. And I'm just talking about pound for pound from an athlete standpoint uh, with Will Anderson and uh, Jalen Waddle. But you bring up a great point about this offense and the talent. And one question, you know, we, we had last week on Bounds, and Thomas and I talked about it, and, uh, you know, we got some thoughts from yourself as well. Uh, but I know you've told us in the past, we've all had concerns about Chris Owens, especially at the center position. It looks as though that everything we thought is working its way out is, is happening. And what we mean is, uh, from what I heard yesterday, Landon Dickerson took the majority of those reps at center. It looks like he is going to be there. Uh, cornbread, Deontay Brown at left guard, and the Alecchio at right guard. And then we, we know that at the left tackle will be Alex Leatherwood, though, from what I understand, he missed the scrimmage with COVID concerns. Uh, you know, Kendall Randolph uh, was the uh, junior from Bob Jones High School here in my, my area, was the left tackle. Uh, but that's just temporary. And then Evan Neal at right tackle. Matter of fact, from what I was told, Chris Owens' first appearance in the scrimmage was he came in for a brief time for Evan Neal, no injury or anything, but they took a look at Chris Owens as a backup right tackle. So, uh, you know, I think Tommy Brown has is still competing there but has struggled a little bit. So Owens is a versatile senior. So it looks like he's going to be a guy that's going to be, a, a you know, a, a versatile swing backup but not a starter, and that's probably a good thing. And it sounded like from that, William, what we heard from Nick Saban after the scrimmage is that he's really pleased with that offensive line, especially now with Landon Dickerson at center. Yeah, and I, I probably should have led off with that before I got into the skill players on offense. You know, when yes. you've got a, an offensive line unit that a lot of people are already, you know, putting the label on that it's the best in the country for 2020, you know, filling in with, with you know, Average skill players can probably produce a championship-level team, but uh, I think, as we all know, none of those guys are average. Um, but I, that, that's not a surprise to hear about Will Anderson. I mean, I certainly think the the quicker he can be a um, you know a, a, a contributor on a, a weekly basis, the better that defense will be. Um, it'll certainly make those guys' jobs on the back end uh, trying to cover wide receivers um, a lot easier and. Um, I don't think it's any should surprise anybody that he's put himself in this position when you saw what he did as a senior in high school and at the all-star game. And, you know, he's a guy, Drew, that had there been a spring practice. Right. Um, you'd, probably already, you'd probably already see him, uh, you know, running with the ones on a more consistent basis. And, and that's, that's something that at least every team, um, you know, is battling that lack of spring practice. It is such an important component. Um, you know, for a successful season, just to get the chemistry and the continuity and everybody on the same page and, you know, more time for a guy like a Will Anderson, probably at this stage in the game, you know, the only thing that he's lacking is the mental part of it and grasping the playbook. Yeah, that's really true. No question about it. And uh, he just, he's probably getting a better, you know, getting more and more comfortable, get a better grasp of it. uh, The more they go along, but you're right. He's still missed spring practice, just like Bryce Young. So, Hearing that Bryce, you know, went 70 yards against the ones with the twos yesterday, William, on his second, you know, uh, series, he went three and out the first. But to hear that he led him to a touchdown on his second series and then led them on a deep drive with his third before I think he lost a fumble on a a snap exchange or something to that effect. He had a fumble uh, for his only turnover. But still, uh, that's encouraging because you never know with COVID. I mean, Certainly, uh, we, we know Bryce has had it. Uh, Mac Jones, we don't, we don't know that for sure. But uh, 
it, it, you always want to have a backup quarterback that you're confident in just in case of sickness or injury this time, uh, especially the way this season is, could potentially go. But I think it's encouraging that Mac has stepped up uh, in the last couple of weeks and that Bryce Young seems to be catching on quickly because – but they're going to have, you know, the quarterback's best friend. You already mentioned that O-line. We both talked about that. And then I know nobody will be shocked listening to this show – but it sounds like they're as deep at running back as maybe they've been uh, since Derrick Henry and crew. And, and that before Alvin Kamara went off the reservation uh, and he was there, you know, as maybe a fifth team back. He just got paid $75 million by the Saints. But it looks like Alabama is, uh, you know, as deep as, they, as it comes. Because we all know about Najee and Brian Robinson, William. We've, we've, you know, they, they're, they're guys that have played a lot of football. Uh, but we continue to hear things about Trey Sanders. This time on during this scrimmage, I'm hearing he was much better. He had a 30-yard touchdown. He kind of he flashed, and then we heard about Roy Dell Williams two weeks ago. This time it was Jason McClellan. So it sounds like this running back room is as deep as we were thinking. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if if they can get meaningful reps, um, you know, out of Sanders and and the you know the young guys, I still think uh, Killian Robinson is a really nice change of pace back back there. Um, that, that things can get real nasty for opposing defenses. And Thomas and I were talking about this before you jumped on, because I do think there's going to be more of a concerted effort to establish the ground game. And, uh, you know, that, that just – and also, I'm, I'm going to stick, you know, with my original prediction. I, I still think by mid-October, um, I, I would still expect to see some packages – um, with Bryce Young in there on some some short yardage, maybe some red zone where he comes in and runs the zone read package. You know, it's just another um, you know feather in Steve Sarkeesian's back pocket that he can pull out to put stress on a defense. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question, and I think I do think Bryce will play. I think he'll play in the first game. I think Steve Sarkeesian's been pushing to get him more time, even though as you said, he has not been here for spring practice. He has definitely impressed enough, though. And, you know, just really, uh, uh, I think he's a special talent. But Mac Jones has responded in kind. So we expect 10 to take the first snap. We expect nine to play. Uh, we, we don't apologize for that. And then, again, uh, this offense is really – and the thing, another area that I think is underrated that I'm getting excited about, and he, uh, he had at this position, and it's tied in, Jaleel Billingsley had a touchdown catch uh, during red zone work yesterday. You know, tight end, I thought last year, you know, did not have enough depth. But I think with, you know, the Miller Forrestal hopefully being healthy, I'm still not high on Major Tennyson. I think everybody knows that. But I've heard really good things from Carl Tucker. Nick Saban has lauded his toughness, blocking ability, pass catching. I wouldn't be surprised if he passed Major Tennyson on the depth chart. But the thing that I'm excited about is Jaleel Billingsley's hopeful maturation and then Cameron Latu, who – Moved there last year, but it was still getting used to playing the position. Heard some good things about him as well. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian likes to play multiple tight ends, so hopefully that position will be more of a playmaking one. I still don't think they have an Irv Smith. We know how dynamic he was, William, of course, especially in the red zone, and you brought that up about how he was basically your big wide receiver in the red zone. He was a matchup problem, but I still think it sounds like the tight end position uh, may be better, and with Carl Tucker's ability to block, because we know Miller is not the biggest guy, you've, saw, you've talked about this before, the, uh, you t and if Alabama's going to get back to running the football effectively, uh, and I think you know they did the second half of last year, but he could be a key about getting that running game going on the edges. Oh, absolutely, and I, I was sitting here thinking we were talking about Bryce Young you know, play in and win. I, I forgot their their opening game is against that defensive juggernaut Missouri. So yeah, we might I might have to put I might have to push my timeline up a little bit. Um but no and I, and I think too you just you know jarred my memory and it's a very valid point. I don't think anybody and I think the coaching staff, you know, via some misses um, you know, in the recruiting class um that year, um but but nobody foresaw um in uh uh, you know, Irv Smith, you know, getting yeah. in and out of the program as quickly as he did. I, I think that was, you know, nobody could forecast that. And, and kudos to Irv for having the athletic ability to pull it off. 
But, uh, yeah, that, I think that was a big facet of their offense that was missing last year. When you Because he was, um, despite being a, a fifth wide receiver, he was also a pretty effective blocker as well um, for somebody that wasn't a, a big, massive, big body tight end. So, you know, that and that part of it, I think the um, hard-headedness of trying to get the five best guys on the offensive line, it took them a month, month and a half to get that thing shook out. Um, but, you know, once they did – um, you know, I think you saw that that running game uh, become more consistent despite all the um, the crying and hand wringing during the month of September. You know, they, they kind of came out of the gate slow last year with it. I don't expect that to be a repeat performance this year. Well, and before we we continue to talk about uh, the developments and and switch to uh, to the defensive side of the ball, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about speaking of tight ends. Alabama just filled out their recruiting class with Robbie out uh, from Rock Hill, South Carolina, the same high school uh, as uh, Jadavian Clowney. He's someone that's only rated a three-star, but so was Irv Smith. And when you watched Irv Smith, I remember you watched it, and you told everyone that this guy is completely underrated. He's a better than a three-star. There's a reason Texas A&M wanted him so bad. LSU missed the boat, and, you know, his dad was an NFL player, too, Irv Smith Sr. at Notre Dame, and and then in the NFL with the Saints. And so it was like, okay, this guy is going to be a good player, which absolutely he was. Robbie Alves, he's not as athletic as Irv, but he's, he's an underrated athlete if you watch him on the basketball court. And I've watched basketball film. I've watched him throw down some dunks, throwing the ball off the backboard, catching it. And then I've watched him on film football-wise, William. And he's a rare three-down tight end. He really seems to enjoy blocking. When they give him a chance to catch the ball, he can do so. I don't think he'll play as a true freshman, but I'm thinking somewhere down the line when the kid's maybe a redshirt sophomore, he could really be a player. But I really like this kid, and I like – and then they're gray-shirting Caden Clark from Akron, who was having a great senior year before he tore his ACL near the end of the regular season a year ago. So it looks like Alabama has done pretty well at the tight end spot, in my opinion, in the 2020 class. Yeah, and, and you know, Drew, that's a – you know, and it's not a, a – slam on Alabama's coaching staff it's just very difficult for you know college coaching staffs to find three down tight ends anymore because there's not any uh downhill running attacks left in high school football you know there, there, there may be a few but they're a rare breed these days and so when you know these guys are split out you know uh wide and they don't get into a three-point stance very often it's it's very difficult to uh you know evaluate them and you know, I posed this question to now a current college head coach. He was an offensive line coach at the time. You know, just how difficult is it, um, you know, when you see all these guys, you know, especially, you know, point of attack guys like offensive linemen and tight end, and they're operating out of a two-point stance, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you project them and, and evaluate them and stuff? And, you know, that very intelligent and well-thought-out answer, you know, we look at what they can do in a two-point stance, and they're going to be better out of a three. Um, but but it is very difficult to find, um, just like it's kind of hard to find pro-style quarterbacks anymore. There's just not a lot of pro-style offenses, um, you know, at the high school level anymore. So it's just made the evaluators' jobs that much more difficult. But, you know, Alabama has really struggled, um, you know, over the last couple of years. Uh, probably last three or four recruiting classes, you know, they've missed on some good quality inline tight ends, but there's just not a lot of them to pull from the, the pool of talent anymore. There isn't. You're right. And the last uh, part of the offense I wanted to talk about, we mentioned Jalen Waddle. We know what kind of athlete he is. and We know Devontae Smith. He would have had a 50-yard touchdown yesterday, but they when, when you just barely touch a guy, they blow it dead. So but we know what Devontae can do, but the rest of the receiver core is what I'm interested in because they lose Henry Ruggs, who had a really nice debut today for the Las Vegas Raiders in their win, and Josh Jacobs had three more touchdowns of his own. Uh, and so, but and we know that Jerry Judy on Monday night will be debuting with the Denver Broncos. So again, it's going to be interesting to see how they replace a couple of first-round draft choices. But I like what I've heard. I mean, I, I think we knew that they had two potential first-rounders come back to school. And then, of course, Waddle being in his draft-eligible year this year, of course. Uh, but they've got John Mechie, who seems to be taking a step forward uh, as the third wide receiver. He was really the fifth guy last year. Didn't get a lot of targets, but is a guy that blocks, catches. I think Nick Saban likes his toughness. 
I was extremely encouraged by what I heard about Slade Bolden yesterday. Heard he had a really nice day, and Slade Bolden has always been a favorite of mine. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think Brian Dayball, who's now the still the OC of the Buffalo Bills, he stood on the table for him. I know Sark really likes him. Uh, they can use him in specialty packages as a wildcat, and he can even throw it. But I think he can be an effective receiver, and and so and then I'm I'm excited about what I heard about him and even Javon Baker, the freshman. He had another long touchdown catch yesterday, William. So it looks like the wide receiver group, I'm, it's not going to be quite as talented as a year ago, but I, am I crazy for saying there's not going to be a lot of drop-off? No, I don't think so because, you know, in my opinion, I think Mechie would have started um, for a lot of other SEC teams last year or, or at least been in the four-man rotation. Um, and, and, you know, because of all the names that you just mentioned, that's why he wasn't. I'm, I think he was SEC-ready last year. Um, just didn't get the touches. I agree with you about the other two guys as well. I think Slade Bolden is going to have a an expanded role this year and get more, you know, get game reps. And uh, I have yet to hear uh, anything but glowing reports about J- uh, Javon Baker. So um, I still think, yeah, I mean, you know, th- there might not be four or five first rounders in that wide receiver room this year, but. Um, it's still going to be very talented, very deep, and uh, that's going to make, you know, Mac Jones and Bryce Young's life a lot easier. I mean, you can get the ball to those guys in space, you know, on a on a five-yard crossing route and just watch them run away from the defenses. Well, and now switching sides of the ball, you made a point at the beginning of our episode of BAMS Radio tonight not to panic about the defense. I know I got many texts and, uh, you know, and uh, people calling last night Want to know is our, is our you know what's wrong with our defense if we if you know if the offense is real in the day well I mean the information I got and I and I tend to agree I think times have changed it's just not it's not going to be as obvious for the defense to dominate especially if you recruit well like Alabama has on the offensive side of the ball you made a great point about inexperience uh, there's inexperience right now at outside linebacker uh, you know there's inexperience in the secondary uh, certainly there's a lot of experience returning off injury at middle linebacker and I mean and there's some experience coming back on the D-line but they were banged up as well and you made another great point that Christian Barmore did not practice yesterday there was a couple of reports that he was with the twos that's not true he never took a snap he was in a black jersey he was on the sidelines and Nick Saban even said afterwards that it was a minor knee injury we also heard that he had some issues off the field as far as you know, he was frustrated this past week. You know, we it's well documented. He deleted some of his Bama stuff off his Twitter and, and uh, Instagram accounts. But I think that's been handled, though. But it, it goes back to a point, William, you made. I think part of that is Justin Aboigby, uh, the sophomore, maybe the most improved defensive lineman on the team. Sounds like he's making it very tough for Barmore to hold on to a starting job, which is a good thing. You want people to, to have to battle. And so right now, Justin Aboigby, D.J. Dale, who I want to point this out, too, and I think you'll agree with me, William. D.J. Dale, we never saw the real Dale last year. He was hurt from the first game on, never was really healthy. So you've got D.J. Dale at nose, and then LeBron Ray, who Alabama lost after the Arkansas, I mean, excuse me, the South Carolina game. So that this D-line, to me, is going to be a lot better if they're healthy, and so far it sounds like they are. Certainly, hopefully, Barmore will get back and can be in that rotation uh, but if you're telling me right now that Justin Aboigby is making things difficult for Barnmore to stay with the first group, I think that's a positive sign. Yeah, and, and I think, too, there's, there's a lot more difficult personnel decisions to be made on that side of the football. Um, you know, you've got two, um, at least guys with time in the program, certainly not with a lot of game or, or proven game experience out there, you know, and Chris Allen and Ben Davis, but I, I don't think it's, disparaging to say this about either one of them. Those two guys that are, are nipping at their heels are just more athletic. Um, you know, I, I saw Chris Allen flash quite a bit as a true freshman. Um, and, and then he just, you know, he, I, I, you'd see him, you know, one week and you'd be like, man, this guy is somebody to watch for the future. And then the next Saturday, he just would vanish. Um, you know, Barmore's got a lot of pressure on him. Um, you know, he's, he's never – probably played more than 20 you know snaps in a game before if that many and uh you know all of a sudden every time he gets on the internet he's reading about how he's a top 20 draft pick I mean that's 
something that's tough to manage, you know, for himself, you know, plus for the coaches. Uh, but I think the defensive line depth is going to take care of itself. But I think you've got an intriguing, you know, personnel management situation developing out there at the Jack and Sam linebacker positions. And obviously I think right now, based after two scrimmages, um, you know, Anderson is the one that's, you know, making them, you know, scratch their heads, you know, what do we do here? Um, I still think it's going to be at least early on in the season, um, you know, that you'll see Allen and Davis kind of be the first and 10 guys. And, you know, when it's second and eight or third and seven, I, I, I do think you'll see, Sanders and uh, Anderson come in in the, in the rabbit package. And, uh, you know, they've got some athletic guys that they can plug and play in at, at uh, the inside linebacker spots as well. There's there's some very talented guys that were brought in last winter. So, um, to me, I think right now the, the most curious personnel um, decisions and how do you get these guys playing time, because I don't think they did a good job of managing Barmore last year, it was obvious from game one that he was the closest thing on the interior of that defensive line to a Quinn and Williams. You know, he was disruptive. He got pressure on the quarterback. He deflected passes. Um, you know, just just was a, a wrecking ball. The the few reps of games that they gave him, and you know, I think they've got to do a better job this year, whether it's a bogey or whoever. Um, but they've, they've got to do a better job of getting those guys that can be disruptive and, and, and generate a pass rush and, and get them in there. Get them in there from, you know, the Missouri game. Don't wait until November to start doing it. Yeah, and they need to continue to develop depth on that second D line. I mean, Fedarian Mathis has played a lot of football. I think he's a – so he, for the most part, he's a proven guy that will give him some snaps. I'm anxious to see Byron Young, you know, how much progress has he made. He got some starts last year. Not sure he was ready, but he certainly has some talent from the state of Mississippi. Uh, so he will factor in. Braylon Ingraham, we saw him late in the year. Ismail Sopcher, uh, we've heard good things about him. So I think the D-line is going to be deeper. Uh, there's no doubt about that, William. And so I'm excited about that. Excited to see uh, the rotation and how these guys, hopefully they can get more pressure and be stronger up the middle. You mentioned the linebacker core. You mentioned Ben Davis. You mentioned Chris Allen. And the two freshmen, Drew Sanders, uh, certainly, uh, and Will Anderson. But I, I'm anxious to see. He took so much criticism, and I kind of stood on the table for him. I still think Shane Lee, for a true freshman that was thrown in the fire, had a fine season for Alabama last year. But I'm going to be interested to see how he can do in a sub-package role, uh, you know, with uh, behind Dylan Moses and Christian Harris. I mean, both those two guys, you know, are very talented players. We think Dylan's going to be back healthy. Christian really made some strides, but I think that Shane Lee can be an outstanding player in a sub situation. Uh, I think he's smart. I think he'll, he's a year in the program. And then you got Joshua McMillan, who is a leader. He's not the most talented guy physically, but he knows how to, you know, where to line up. And he can certainly help uh, develop some of the younger guys like a Demoyer Kennedy and Jackson Bratton, even Jalen Moody and Ali Caho. I think we, we know due to injury last year, William, middle linebacker was extremely thin. It seems to me there's a chance uh, to develop a lot of depth this year. Yeah, I agree with you. And I thought that, you know, Shane Lee took some uh, unnecessary criticism from the fan base. I mean, you know, it's, you know, he is what he is. And, uh, you know, I think at times, you know, lack of experience, lack of knowing the playbook, you know, He's a guy that's, you know, he's not a Dylan Moses or a Christian Harris in space. He's a little bit limited in his range. He's a, you know, a tackle box uh, guy that's, that'll do you a good job inside the tackle box, but he's just not a guy that's going to turn and be able to cover a running back out of the backfield. Uh, but I, I thought he played well as a true freshman, um, especially considering all the um, dysfunction that was going on over there on that side of the football from, from a communication standpoint and, not not so great hires on the coaching staff, um, and so I think you know that's the the quickest way for that defense to be vastly improved, in my opinion, over the 2019 defense is to make sure that you've got two guys that can play in space coming off the edge and, and generate a pass rush because I know Christian Barmore can do it on the inside. Probably a healthy DJ Dale, I've seen him do it before as well. 
And, you know, like you said, Byron Young, a bogey, yeah, I think they've got the athleticism to do it. Um, so I, I'm interested to see, um, you know, what the configuration of that front seven is going to be, you know, in run situations and in pass situations versus Missouri. Because, you know, they, they're, they're, a, they're a fastball spread team, but they still do like to poppy at times, um, you know, with the running game with quick hitters and stuff. So, you know, they're going to have to have their gap integrity, you know, in place and, you know, not get caught, you know, looking and, and uh, falling asleep at the wheel because I'm sure Missouri's going to throw the ball 40 times. Yeah, you're right. I, Drinkwitz is known as a Gus Malzahn disciple, but I think he throws the ball around a little bit more. It wouldn't surprise me if they if they throw it quite a bit and uh, try to test this Alabama secondary, and that's a good segue. The secondary is probably the biggest question mark on the defense. You've only got Patrick Sertain back, who's a full-time starter. Certainly, it's his draft year, so he, he wants to have a big season. I thought it was interesting, William. We didn't bring this up in the beginning of the show, but uh, the, one of the most interesting things I heard pre-scrimmage as they were about to start is, and this, again, I, I'm not necessarily sure these are going to be the starters for the game one, but yesterday, because Josh Job was in a black jersey, but it was still interesting nonetheless because Job still participated, but it, it was that, that we hear that, uh, that Marcus Banks, who – uh, has uh, we've been hearing had had a strong uh, camp and was the third corner was with the ones yesterday with Joe being in that black jersey and then the most interesting one because this has been a battle uh, you know no doubt is Malachi Moore the, the freshman from you at Trustville being with the ones at star ahead of Brian Branch who was with the twos we've heard glowing things about Branch we've also heard great things about Moore and there's always a guy in the recruiting class that's underestimated and I think Malachi Moore from what I was hearing was headed for a potential gray shirt until Caden Clark hurt his knee. And so, and then, of course, they canceled spring football and all that. And so these kids were at home for, for so long. But Malachi Moore has come in from Hewitt Trustville, William. And a lot of times he got forgotten in the recruiting class because he committed so early. I think he was committed for almost two years and then signs with Alabama. Uh, but he's been a quick study himself. It's interesting. I was told Jalen Armour Davis was not at practice. I'm hearing. He, he and Keelan Robinson could potentially be two opt-outs. I don't know if they'll ever announce anything officially, but Keelan has not been practicing. Neither Jalen Armour Davis has not been seen now for several days. But I thought it was interesting that Malachi Moore was with the ones at the star position. Well, you know, the, the most intriguing thing that you just said that, that just makes me scratch my head is, are we ever going to have at least just one season where we get to have – a Josh Job with no off the field issues, no injury issues, you know, with his head screwed on straight. Cause I mean, that guy's got first round athleticism. Right. Um, I mean, I, I loved, I mean, I know he gave up touchdowns, but you could tell, you know, in that Clemson game um, two years ago that it bothered him that he was getting beat the way that he was. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's half the battle in coaching and getting somebody to improve and take that next step is, you know, if they just walk off and it looks like it doesn't bother them, that's probably a guy you need to quit wasting your time on. But I would love to see what a healthy, uh, fully invested Josh Job would look like for a full season at one of those corners because I think he's got a chance to lock his side of the field down. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts back there, um, you know, in the, in the inside of the back end of the defense. Hell, every other day it seems like, you know, you're getting a – a glowing report on Branch, and I've heard some positive things about Hellums, and um, I think you know Wright had an interception yesterday. So I mean, they, they, that's a deep, deep part of the football team. They've got a bunch of you know safety type guys. Um, sounds like maybe you know Malachi Moore's you know joining the mix, and uh, um, you know Banks. I think has some you know you know while he's long, he's got got good jumping ability. Um, so it sounds like they've got good depth. They've just got to figure out, you know, who those best, you know, four, five, and six guys are, depending on which package they're in. Well, the one thing I did hear from Coach Saban yesterday, he did talk about the secondary. He actually said that they don't have a lot of depth. But what I took that to mean, William, is you just talked about the top six. I think DeMarco Hellams, he admitted, was the third safety, and right now would be the money, uh, which means he's a bigger DB, bigger safety. He'd be – playing the roles Xavier McKinney did um, when they went to dime, playing down in the box, and then, of course, uh, near the line of scrimmage. And that's no surprise. Marcus Banks being the third corner. 
I think they like their top six, but Coach Saban's trying to develop guys, you know, behind them because obviously with COVID-19, you never know where that could be necessary. That's why guys like Eddie Smith, Devontae Smith's cousin, uh, who's a redshirt sophomore from Slidell, Louisiana, they're trying to develop him, uh, no doubt about it. They're trying to develop Ronald Williams, the junior college transfer, who also can play the star or the corner position. Uh, we heard some buzz about him early. Haven't heard as much about him lately, so we'll see, you know, kind of where he stands with it. But Jordan Battle seems to be stepping forward. You mentioned Daniel Wright. Daniel Wright has always had a lot of talent. He's from Eddie Jackson's high school. He's had the same kind of thing you talked about with Josh Gove, maybe some attitude issues, also injured a shoulder. If Daniel Wright, who you rightly mentioned had an interception yesterday, if he can mature and then we can get Josh Gove, uh, on the on the same page with everyone else. I thought Joe played well in the Citrus Bowl, too, against Michigan. I thought he took that opportunity when Trevon Diggs decided to opt out and sit out the process and sit out the you know the, the last game of his career. That Josh Joe played pretty well against Michigan, though they tried to they tried to pick on him. But if Joe can can play up to his ability alongside Sertain and then either Branch or Malachi Moore are quick studies and can make an impact at star. If you keep those top six guys healthy, the secondary could be pretty solid. It just may take by midseason. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, you know, these guys aren't going to be beat up, um, you know, for the Missouri game. You know, they've had plenty of time and plenty of rest. Um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what this team looks like in November. And, you know, that it, it just jarred my memory when he was coming out of high school. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, – Ellums is stuck back there in the secondary. I kind of had it in the back of my mind. They might try and turn him into a C.J. Mosley type at inside linebacker, but he's a damn good football player. Um, you know, we just need to keep on, you know, getting him better. But I, what I was trying to get to um, as you were talking about depth and the injury situation, you know, with the new um, strength and conditioning staff, with the lack of people getting beat up, you know, in, in, in uh, fall camp, I'm going to be interested to see how the, the injury situation plays out um, in this season, if it doesn't improve dramatically. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's no question. I mean, I, that's a great point. I mean, if they can just keep guys healthy, uh, that will be, you know, half the battle. And you brought up uh, DeMarco Hellams. He's a guy that I was really impressed with physically last year. I'm anxious to see how much progress that he's made uh, mentally and that, uh, you know, he, he's fitting in. Uh, this defense. One guy that I've heard some good things about in the last week or so is Brandon Turnage. He seems to be making a move to maybe be a second string corner. He had the red shirt last year. Uh, and, you know, he, he's, he's a guy that, uh, you know, was mentally I think needed to catch on. But as we've seen, Nick Saban can be patient with players. He's certainly been patient with Ben Davis. Uh, you know, we, we saw Levi Wallace as a walk-on develop into an NFL player his final two years. And Turnage has a lot of natural talent. So anxious to see kind of what happens with him. And I know I'm going to bring Thomas Watts in for the first time tonight. Uh, he's doing a great job producing our show. And he wanted to comment about, uh, you know, perhaps uh, dealing with COVID-19 at some point. Well, something that I noticed, uh, I was couch potatoing really, really hard yesterday watching the various games. And... Auburn had 10 that didn't practice. Alabama had a handful that didn't scrimmage. Well, not a handful, had a couple that didn't scrimmage with coronavirus-related concerns. And I believe Clemson had several that were out. I don't know why they were, but presumably it would be coronavirus-related. We've seen a lot of that sort of thing even two weeks into the season. And to me, you know, you guys did touch on the depth, but I, I look at it, and it's not going to be the team with the best 22 or even the best 30 that wins the national championship. I think you're going to be starting to look at a situation where the team with the best 40 or the best 45 wins the title because everyone went gaga over Trevor Lawrence's performance uh, against Wake Forest yesterday. You know, whoop-de-doo, you annihilated Wake Forest and you are very efficient when you did it. But what happens if Trevor Lawrence gets coronavirus against Notre Dame? Because, you know, one of the things we said last year, 
when we were talking about, you know, how good is Alabama compared to LSU and Clemson and Ohio State, the argument, the addendum to that argument was how good is Ohio State without Justin Fields and Jeff Okuda and Chase Young or how good was Clemson with no Trevor Lawrence and no Travis Etienne and no um, – I know there was a defensive player that was really good. It's, his name escapes me right now. Um, and and that, that's really what we'd end up talking about. So, Isaiah Simmons, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. That's what I thought. You know, how, how, were, how good were those teams without some of their star players? And what we've seen with coronavirus is that sort of thing could happen week to week. So uh, I guess my, my – actually, not my guess. My kickback to both of you, and Drew, I guess you can go first and take back over is – where do you put Alabama depth-wise as being able to weather some of those storms? Because I think it's not a question of if they happen, it's a question of when they happen. Well, I think they're starting to develop. they got a chance to develop some depth defensively on the D-line. We talked about that. William and I already talked about how deep potentially inside linebacker could be. Outside linebacker, not right now, but that's only because we've never seen Will Anderson and Drew Sanders take the field, even King Makuta, Kevin Harris. Uh, as we see them as the season goes along, that potentially could be a deeper group, too. The secondary is probably the biggest concern past the top six. But if they handle their business, they could develop some depth against a, a team, as William said, like Missouri, who uh, is under a first-year coach and Elijah Drinkwitz. So we'll see if Alabama can maybe start playing some of the younger guys, like a Brandon Turnage, who I just mentioned. Uh, but offensive line-wise, I think you know they've got some the guys that they don't have a ton of depth at tackle. Uh, that's, that's SEC proven, but they certainly do uh, have a, a bunch of moving parts and guys I think they can play on the interior of the offensive line because somebody like uh, Chris Owens could be a spot starter. He's not somebody you want to start uh, for several games, but for a one-game deal, I think he could probably play good football at a position, at least maybe at guard uh, or tackle. I actually was more impressed with him at left tackle a couple years ago than I ever was at center. So. I think he could give you some reps for a game and help you get through it. Uh, I think also uh, when you look at Darian Dalcourt, I think we believe he can be a solid center down the line. So I think he could develop into a guy offensively that you could uh, rely on. They're starting to develop depth. We didn't even mention Xavier Williams among the wide receivers. He has flashed a little bit. So I think they, they've got a chance to have some depth in some places. Uh, but I think overall – Right now, I think it's still a work in progress. But if you can avoid, you know, I think over 70 plus guys have already had COVID for Alabama. So it's run through the majority of the team. But if you still run into some of those issues or an injury or two, I still think this team uh, within the after the first three or four games, I wouldn't be surprised if they had uh, some good depth throughout the roster. I think I liked their chances to be one of the top uh, two or three teams in the country, William, with their top 45 to 50 guys. Well, I mean, I, I think it, it wasn't COVID-related, but I think you saw last year on the defensive side of the football, um, you know, when they lost Dylan Moses, um, that that would be similar to Clemson losing Trevor Lawrence to, to right. COVID. Right, good point, yes. Um, and, and, you know, you, you take the only guy coming back with any experience that probably could have, you know, made Shane Lee and Christian Harris's transition to SEC football you know, if he was lined up next to him versus having two true freshmen out there scratching their heads when the ball's being snapped. And, and, and to a lesser extent, I think the combination of losing DJ Dale and then the inability, or, or I wouldn't say inability, but maybe the lack of trust with playing your most disruptive defensive lineman in Christian Barmore more than they did had a massive impact on the the caliber of defense that they were able to put on the field last year. Um, you know, I think they've got a much better chance of, you know, having a better bottom, you know, 22 um, this year versus last year, um, just because they've recruited better, um, they've developed more depth, and and for the love of God, the the defensive line coach Freddie Roach can't be a, a downgrade over what they had last year. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Really the last two years. So I've heard good things about Freddie. I'm anxious to see how the players respond to him. I think they have in practice, but let's see how they perform in a game. No question. And he's definitely brought more energy on the recruiting trail than the 
last two guys, Craig Kuliagowski, and then the waste of space, Brian Baker. Uh, but I, but and now we haven't talked about it, but. And, you know, I, it's almost one of those things I'm going to have to believe it when I see it. But I've always thought that uh, – I thought last year his injury was under-publicized as far as the impact. I know he, he hit a couple off the uprights and he was four of seven, but I think he was starting to figure it out and was about to solidify the spot. But really encouraged by what we've heard about Will Reichert. Uh, I'm hoping he's just not going to even kick off, only going to handle, you know, place kicking. Uh, let Joseph Boulevard kick off. Boulevard was a disaster yesterday. He missed three field goals. But Will Reichert was great again. He was four out of five with his only miss coming from 55 yards. He's had two really good scrimmages. He had a 52 and a 53-yarder uh, two weeks ago. It looks like he's healthy. The only small concern, because we know Jalen Waddell, I don't know that they'll kick to him at their own peril, but with kickoff and punt returns, he can handle that. The only small concern I have besides the inexperience in the back end defensively is punter because I haven't heard much out of Ty P. Ryan in either scrimmage. Matter of fact, I haven't heard that he got that much work. I've heard that he was good in practice, but for whatever reason, it was mostly Sam Johnson in scrimmage one. Yesterday, it was a com- combination of Sam Johnson and Charlie Scott, the brother of J.K. Scott, that transferred as a senior from Air Force. And I heard, I heard Sam Johnson was solid to 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 good the first scrimmage yesterday. I heard I heard the punting was average. So my only concern is the punting a little bit. But hopefully, William, with this offense, Alabama's not going to have to punt too many times. No, and, and you know, going back to when y'all were talking about, you know, if, if, if the, they have a COVID outbreak, and I don't care if it's at Alabama, which is basically an O-line football factory, but you, you, you get you a COVID outbreak at any big-time school and – Let's just use Alabama, for example, and let's say, uh, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen. But you, you lose Alex Leatherwood at left tackle and Evan Neal at right tackle, and the season's going to go south in a hurry. And it, but it's, the good news is it's that way for every team. You know, those, those cats are just too hard to find, um, you know, to have the size, the length, and the, the, length and the athleticism. And nobody in, in college football is too deep at left tackle and right tackle with guys that can come in and there not be a significant drop off in the performance. Uh, you're very, you're, you're so correct there. And I guess as we're winding it down on this second episode of BAMS radio, since we came back following our, you know, long hiatus due to COVID-19 and no spring football uh, from a recruiting standpoint, William, a lot of interest should be this coming Friday on ESPN family of networks as the a gargantuan matchup in your backyard is happening as Hewitt Trustville and Thompson is going to be a featured game on ESPN national television. We know Jeremiah Alexander's the number one rated junior in Alabama. He's a Thompson warrior, Peter Woods, who's considered one of the top two to three players in the country and probably in the top two players in the state of Alabama as a sophomore will be starting on that D line for Thompson. Somebody Alabama is very interested in. Justice Finkley, the defensive end for Hewitt Trustle, somebody that Alabama as a junior is definitely going to be recruiting hard. And, of course, Riley Quick, the brother of Pierce Quick, doesn't have an Alabama offer yet, but that could be coming along that offensive line. A lot of talent's going to be on the field Friday night for Alabama fans to have a chance to watch. Yeah, I was talking a couple weeks ago with a Alabama high school official and uh, he had been around doing some controlled scrimmages at a lot of the different schools here in Birmingham. And he, he said if, if he doesn't think Thompson's going to have a problem with, with Trustful, but he said once they get past them, he doesn't think they're going to be challenged the rest of the year. He said they are basically, you know, um, they've gotten to the point where they just reload every year. And uh, he, he had very glowing remarks about the state of that program in comparison to – um, you know, some of the other 7A programs around this, this part of the state. So I, I'm looking forward to watching that game. Um, I want to see, um, you know, both Woods and specifically Alexander. Um, he's, he's gotten a little bigger, a little thicker, and hasn't lost any of his explosiveness. And I think he's going to really, really wreak havoc on people this year. I think he really will as well. Well, William, we always appreciate the time and you joining us on BAM. Some great observations about the buzz we're hearing from Alabama scrimmage. We're going to come to you next week with more practice buzz. And as Alabama's 
uh, going to be getting get ready to start game week preparation. We'll probably talk a little bit more about the Missouri Tigers, even though with lack of spring football and even with the lack of uh, you know media coverage for fall camp because everything's on lockdown, it's harder to g- gather a ton of info. But we're going to definitely try to uh, to study Missouri and come up with some talking points, no question about that, and preview that game that will be coming up the next week. And then we'll, of course, review it uh, on the Sunday after, on the September 27th. But we always appreciate your time, sir. Uh, safe travels and stay safe. I know we could have some more weather here in the state of Alabama, but thank you for your time tonight on BAMS Radio. Enjoy it, guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Well, and uh, that's going to uh, uh, wrap up our episode here. We bring you a lot of Crimson Tide conversation. Uh, William Redfish Barger, some outstanding stuff. William, of course, Thomas Watts, great job producing our show tonight and giving us some thoughts on what could be the impact of COVID-19 and having to develop that top 45 or so. Uh, really have a two deep, so to speak, uh, and sometimes even three deep at certain positions. But we're going to continue uh, to preview this coming season for Alabama. It's an unusual one because we're so used to already being a couple of weeks in. But we've seen some college football already. The ACC got started yesterday. There were some upsets. The home field hadn't meant a whole lot. you got to kind of bring your own energy. You saw what Louisiana and Billy Napier did to Iowa State, blowing them out uh, there off the field. We saw South Alabama losing their debut, blowing a big lead to Tulane. Uh, we saw Kansas get destroyed uh, by Coastal Carolina at home. And then Texas Tech just barely escaped Houston Baptist. And Kansas State losing to uh, Arkansas State. Matter of fact, former Alabama players Lane Hatcher and Giles Amos, uh, who's now a tight end for the Red Wolves, connecting on a touchdown pass. Then Lane Hatcher throwing the game winner late. It was a horrendous day for the Big 12. And now, who knows, by the time we speak to you next, the Big 10 may have finally decided to quit listening to Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, and they may absolutely be playing football. So we will see in the Pac-12, could they follow suit? You never know in this wacky year. But We certainly appreciate all the feedback we got from last week's episode. Uh, And uh, Thomas and I had a great conversation, you know, uh, talking about the first scrimmage at Alabama and previewing the second one. And we've had another great time tonight. We want you to continue to support us at BAMS Radio on Twitter and give us a lot of listens and feedback. And we'll come to you next week as we continue counting down the days until Alabama football 2020. Good night on this Sunday and roll tide. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.